0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Might send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker.
1: This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buker. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Ben Simmons and James Harden had their introductory press conferences with their new teams the other day, earlier this week, after being traded for each other last week. Simmons going to the Brooklyn Nets and Harden going to the Philadelphia 76ers. And while they both did their best to provide answers for why they wanted to be traded that contradicted all the reports about why they wanted to be traded they didn't quite succeed their answers if you listen closely included inherent contradictions and a few outright lies now i've never enjoyed attending those kind of press conferences or group press conferences in general And I rarely ask questions in them. Why? Because I don't want to have to endure being lied to. To my face. In public. It's uncomfortable. If I'm in a one-on-one or private setting, I can challenge something someone says that doesn't make sense. Or is contradictory. And it doesn't have to get confrontational. And generally, one-on-one, somebody's not going to look you dead in the eye and just make something up or say what they think you want to hear. In those settings, it's hard for the person, and I'm talking about the group settings, it's hard for the person up on the podium not to get defensive. And it can impact the chance of anyone else getting their questions answered. And yes, I do think about the other people in the room when I'm in one of those settings. I actually thought the reporters in both conferences did about as well as they could to get to the bottom of what transpired between Simmons and Harden and their former teams that led them to moving on. But in the end, I don't know that either of them came clean. The difficulty is is that for it to really work, the reporters have to work in unison because generally you get one question, maybe two consecutively. And it's really easy if the questioning starts to go down the wrong path That someone steps in or if the player or coach or gm or owner are wise they can simply say i think i've answered that question or i think i've addressed that topic let's move on even if they necessarily haven't in any case both harden and simmons did inadvertently say a few things that provided clues about why they left their previous teams Let's start with Simmons, who said his issues weren't with anyone with the Sixers or what they said, which would suggest Joel Embiid, his former teammate, blaming him for the Sixers' playoff loss to the Atlanta Hawks and Doc Rivers, his previous coach, expressing uncertainty that he could win with Simmons wasn't the driving force that everyone has believed it was for the last 6 months. But here's the problem. Simmons When asked about how he felt about those reports, firmly said he was dealing with his mental health issues involving his personal life even before that series. In fact, even before the season. And the organization knew that. Now, if I was writing this, those last five words would be in italics because that's a mouthful. Or I'd put it in all caps. Because... It insinuates that Embiid and Rivers made their comments about Simmons and his performance against the Hawks while knowing there was a ready explanation for it and that they apparently weren't willing to accept that explanation. Simmons then said a minute or so later in his press conference, I'm never going to put my teammates down, my coaches or anything like that. I'm just not that kind of person. So, Simmons doesn't believe it's right to put a teammate or a coach down. And yet, that's exactly what his teammate and coach did to him. You're telling me that that's the way he feels about doing such things, and yet he's trying to tell us that had nothing to do with his decision to leave. Not buying it. He also made it sound as if his mental health issues were still a concern and that he couldn't be sure exactly when he'd get past them or have them under control. But asked if he thought he could be ready for the Nets' March 10th game in Philadelphia, he wasn't hesitant at all. He sounded like someone looking forward to it. I hope so, he said rather quickly, and the way he said it made me think he can't wait to play in that game. Harden, well, Harden was truly a piece of work, as he often is. Now, for those who aren't aware, Harden did not play his last four games with the Brooklyn Nets because of a hamstring issue. He already had ruled himself out of their game against the Washington Wizards the day before the trade deadline. They were, To be clear, they were supposed to play the Wizards the night that the trade went down. Yet, five days later, at his first Sixers press conference... When asked about his conditioning and his hamstring, he said, My conditioning is great. I've been doing a lot of running, a lot of sprints, a lot of treadmill work, strength and conditioning. But it's nothing like basketball conditioning. Playing five on five, pick and roll, getting hit. That's something that I have to incorporate. But overall, my body feels great. Now Tracy McGrady pointed this out too in seeing some clips of him taking step back jumpers in his first Workout with the Sixers, and that anybody with a hamstring issue is not taking step-back jumpers, not threes, not any, to be honest with you, but especially not from threes and not step-backs. But in any case, we're just going based on what he said here. So he wasn't just taking step-back jumpers. He was on the treadmill. He was running sprints, a lot of sprints. <sighs> so as of five days ago, his hamstrings was too compromised to play. But in the four days since, he has been doing a lot of running, a lot of sprints, a lot of treadmill work, along with strength and conditioning. You can't do that on an injured hamstring. This is what I mean about having someone lie directly to my face in a press conference. I wouldn't have asked that question because under the circumstances, with it fairly apparent Harden was Milking the injury to get out of Brooklyn or making it up, you are begging him to lie. But if I had asked the question, there's no way I wouldn't have followed up with how did you do all that on an injured hamstring? What I found interesting is that Daryl Morey, the Sixers team president, was asked about his previous pairings of stars with Harden in Houston. With uh, Harden had, had him with Chris Paul. They had him with Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard. And how they didn't work. And what made pairing Harden with MB different? It was a hell of a question. Owner Josh Harris got hit with the same question about the process not working and Al Horford not working and why this would work. And Daryl and Josh took the questions in stride. Daryl said something to the effect that they hadn't worked out, but the model for winning a title started with having two great players. Here's the thing. Harden should have been asked why all his previous star pairings hadn't resulted in a championship as well. Or, to be fair, asked him first how he thought those previous pairings went and then asked why he believed this one would be more successful than those since he believes he and Joel are capable of winning a championship. said that. It was a question that needed to be asked Especially after he said, I can pretty much fit anywhere. Now, I do find it interesting that he didn't say, I can pretty much fit with anyone. There's a distinction. Because he later said, it's a time where I needed to be around guys I know want to win and are willing to do whatever it takes to win. This was about why he left Brooklyn. Now, I'm going to take away, I'm going to, other people have already addressed the idea that he's suggesting that the Brooklyn Nets are not willing to win, that Kevin Durant is not willing to win, Kyrie Irving go down the line. In any case, the inference aside from that is that Harden needs guys around him who are willing to make sacrifices, whatever they may be. But it begs the question, what is he willing to sacrifice? What is he willing to do to fit in? Someone could have pointed out to him that Joel is leading the league in usage rate, which is the number of offensive plays run for a particular player. Yes, for those who didn't know, Joel has enjoyed having the l- highest usage rate, even higher than Luka Doncic in Dallas, who is second. It's a category that Harden led the league in twice in Houston and was never below 36% his last three years there. Now, his usage did dip to 28% in Brooklyn last year. It's right around the same place this year. But there have been reports that some of his dissatisfaction being in Brooklyn stemmed from that fact. He was rolling his eyes anytime a play was run for KD. In any case, he currently stands at 20th in usage rate among players in the league, even with the reduction still top 20. And that's still way higher than the second sixer Tobias Harris, who's 55th. It is impossible to imagine that Joel's usage rate isn't going to go down with Harden on board, and with it, his chances of winning MVP. I would like to think that if MB doesn't win MVP, but the Sixers win a title, he would be happy making that trade. But what if he doesn't win MVP, and they don't win a title? What if they don't get past the second round again? How excited is he going to be seeing Harden sign a long-term deal with the prospect that it might kill his chance of ever winning league MVP, at least for the immediate future? If you're looking for plump lips that last,
0: you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
1: For more on all of this, by the way, I have a piece on the Fox Sports app that discusses where the Sixers and Nets stand after the trade among title contenders in the Eastern Conference. I spoke to four scouts, two from each conference, and they were much more bullish on the Nets than the Sixers. We'll see. I'm standing by my initial view, which was that both teams took themselves out of this year's title race because they're essentially going back to the drawing board with roughly six weeks left in the season. And the Nets aren't going to have anything close to a full six weeks of KD, Kyrie, and Simmons playing together with KD still recovering from a sprained knee, Kyrie subject to the mandate, and Simmons... Having to get in physical and mental shape after not playing all season. Do want to take a moment here to mention my sponsor, my primary sponsor, Mizzen and Maine, men's apparel. Shirts, joggers, polos, hoodies, dress shirts, slacks. They even make a sweet navy blue blazer. And the beauty of it is, all of it is made out of the kind of fabric that you probably work out in. Dry fit type material. So it's stretchy, comfortable. You can wear it as a very snug fit. Basically everything that I wear on TV these days is made by Mizzen & Main. And here's the other beautiful part of it. I have something to offer you in order to just give Mizzen & Main a try use my last name buker b u c h e r 35 the numerals 35 buker 35 as a promo code to get $35 off your next order with mizen and maine check them out m i z z e n a n d m a i n .com and don't forget to use that promo code buker 35 Before I go, I do want to make note of LeBron James beating the Utah Jazz the other night after losing Anthony Davis to a sprained ankle. For James, this was the best performance I've seen from him all year, maybe in the last two years. He absolutely shredded the Jazz in the fourth quarter. I joked on someone else's podcast the other day, Jason McIntyre's podcast, that I couldn't remember the last time LeBron faced up and attacked someone off the dribble in a half-court set. Well, I can now. He did it several times down the stretch uh, versus the Jazz. And when he wasn't doing that, he was knocking down threes. It was meaningful above and beyond ending a three-game losing streak for the Lakers. It shows that if somehow, some way, the Lakers get matched up with the Jazz in the playoffs, they are capable of beating them. They're 2-0 and against them so far, and LeBron exposed the Jazz's weaknesses. That they don't have anyone who can guard him is one. Rigobert couldn't. Boyan Bogdanovich couldn't. And Royce O'Neal couldn't. They all got their shot. Now, can he carry the Lakers the rest of the way without Anthony Davis, who assuredly will miss more than the four weeks that he is expected to miss? Uh, from the sprain that he suffered against the Jazz, what they're calling a midfoot sprain. I actually thought he broke his ankle the way his lower leg flexed, but it's being reported as a sprain, and not an ankle sprain, but a midfoot sprain. Uh, I'm just reporting the news. It wasn't identified as a high sprain, and that's what it looked like to me. Uh, In any case, I don't know how long it takes to come back from a midfoot sprain, But when it comes to AD's history of coming back from injuries, the smart bet is always to bet the over. The way over. I would not be the least bit surprised if his availability is still up in the air going into the postseason. But in looking at what LeBron did, what was... uh, Look, it was impressive. And this is going to sound like I'm qualifying it. Well, I am. Because I have to. It helped that the game was on the Lakers' home floor. It helped that Aaron Donald was in the front row. And that LeBron James obviously was aware of L.A. Rams defensive lineman Aaron Donald, Super Bowl winning Aaron Donald being in the front row because he dapped him up at one point after hitting a shot. And gave him a big hug afterward. So he's playing for a very special audience. And he was playing at home. And he was also playing against a Jazz team. is one of the most unathletic in the league and I believe have their struggles. There's a reason that they've fallen to fourth or fifth right now in the standings, which is going to make it difficult for the Lakers to get a first round matchup with them. And I don't see them getting to the second round if they have to go through Phoenix or the Warriors. Playing the Grizzlies might be interesting because of the Grizzlies' lack of experience, especially if somehow, some way Anthony Davis is back and in some reasonable shape. So, the added bad news for the Lakers is that the schedule does not favor them the rest of the way. They are 9-18 and against teams currently with winning records, and 14 of their 24 remaining games are against teams currently with winning records. And they also have games left with losing teams who have already beaten them twice in the Thunder and Clippers. And I don't know where the Thunder are as far as how hard they're going to be playing down the stretch. They have a lot of young guys who want to prove something. But certainly the Clippers are going to be looking to win every one of those games. Currently stand just ahead of the Lakers in the standings. The Lakers are also 9-18 and on the road this season. And guess what? 14 of the remaining 24 games are on the road. Now, I suppose I could have looked at the combination of how many of those road games are on or against winning teams, but you get the point. Schedule does not favor them. The good news is that they shouldn't have to do a whole lot to keep their current position of ninth in the Western Conference. The Blazers are behind them in 10th. But they're looking to tank and rebuild based on the moves that they made trading Norman Powell and C.J. McCollum. The Kings reloaded or reshaped their roster in hopes of moving up, but so far it doesn't appear that that is going according to plan. The Pelicans did the same, and I could potentially see them taking the Blazers' spot, but that's about it. So the Lakers are guaranteed to be in the play-in tournament, and when I look at the team's that they most likely are going to play, the Pelicans or the Blazers or the Timberwolves or even the Clippers, they have a good shot at beating two of those teams, which I believe is what they would have to do. If they're ninth, they're going to have to beat the 10th place team and then they're going to have to beat the loser of the 7th, 8th place game. But I'm going to say they're capable of that the big question is going to be with lebron how much energy does he want to expend in trying to make this happen does he really believe and i imagine some of this will be informed by anthony davis's availability or lack thereof but i've never known lebron to go to the wall to try to win when he doesn't believe he has the requisite ability to win a championship I've just never seen it, and especially at this time in his career when he's thinking about he wants to stay around long enough to surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time scorer and he wants to play until he's 40 and his son Bronny James has a chance to be in the league so that they might be able to play together. With all that in mind, I just don't know how hard LeBron James is going to play every game down the stretch and in the playoffs. Because one of the things that he has been is an excellent businessman when it comes to expending his energy. If it's what he considers a lost cause, then he's not going all out. And there's a very good chance that at some point, he looks at this Lakers situation and says, it's a lost cause. In some ways, I wonder whether he already has because he has focused more on scoring than ever before when if it really came down to trying to do everything possible to win expending his energy in order to win games he would be doing more playmaking and less scoring simply because of the way the Lakers are constituted they don't have another playmaker not on the level not anywhere near the level of LeBron. Maybe they thought Russell Westbrook was going to be that. Found out pretty quickly that wasn't the case. Just can't make his approach work with the talent that they have. So we shall see exactly where they can go. Nonetheless, LeBron gave us a glimpse. like He's still capable of doing some really, really special things. How often he wants to do those special things remains to be seen. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, well, I'd like it to be about something that Steph Curry said the other night, which impressed me as much as anything that he has ever done. I will play for you what he said and why it impressed me so much and why it explains exactly why the Warriors... The collective warriors play so hard for Steph and believe in him so much. That in the next podcast. And, of course, we'll also have to deal with the All-Star Weekend and the results of the All-Star Weekend. I don't know how much you guys care. Uh, To me, glorified exhibitions. But sometimes it's fun. We'll see. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.